Welcome to the 20th installment of the Injury Report. I'm your host, Joe Brenner, and it has been a long time with lots and lots of football since last time I published an episode. So, first things first, last time I missed an installment was right before college football kicked off, and I was down in... Columbus. I went down to Columbus for week one, the official week one, where the Notre Dame Fighting Irish took on the Ohio State Buckeyes, and what a weekend it was. I had all my buddies down there from high school with my little brother, uh, came up from Miami, where he goes to school, and we got in, we got, I got to this bar super early to get good spots for us all and we we had a big crowd of probably like 12 guys standing around watching this game and you know it started off not great and then by halftime Notre Dame had the lead did a lap around the bar just to soak it all in because it had a bad feeling and that is ended up what happened was the uh the Buckeyes squeaked it out and when uh Jackson Smith and Jigba went out and was shortly thereafter replaced by Amika Egbuke. He uh, came in and scored right, you know, right after that. And it was just like, man, these these guys are just deeper and better. And so that was week one. Tough, tough two mile walk back to our Airbnb where I was jeered quite a bit with some of my fellow Notre Dame fans, companions. But we earned it throughout the night and got back safely then week one week two college football got to watch Notre Dame again just be awful and actually weirdly I think that the game against Marshall is more of their true abilities and I think they actually played really well against Ohio State so I am weirdly more proud of their effort against Ohio State after having seen their True Colors kind of show against Marshall and subsequently Cal this week. The other week one thing that jumped out to me was Georgia is just absolutely unstoppable looking. Oregon, it might not be great, but they're, you know, no rollover, but that's exactly what Georgia did to them. And their insistence on playing football without, or offense without any wide receivers on the field is just amazing you know they just have three huge fast strong tight ends out there and then running backs to fill whatever else out and give Stetson the go-ahead to get any of those guys the ball whenever he wants and there's not really anybody anything can anything anyone can do to stop them and even though they lost how much of their defense just in the first round last year they still reloaded on defense as well so those are the big week one takeaways. Week two, the uh, Texas game, which we're going to talk about a little bit, Texas-Alabama. That felt as if Texas should have won that game. There were some wonky calls, especially the one in the end zone. The way I left that, where it started off as a safety and then it was 
Alabama's ball first and ten, and then it was nothing. I, I felt that Texas probably got screwed more, but in the moment it felt like both teams were getting screwed the same amount and that their fans just walked away collectively. In the moment there was just so much confusion that it was just, okay, it's fourth down. You know, it's not it's not a first down. It's not because you know, of the targeting, the potential targeting. It's not a safety. Everybody's just looking around at each other. And I don't even know. I don't think it was the correct call. I think it was intentional grounding. But I think it should have been a safety. But everybody's looking around, and nobody feels more screwed at that moment when they kind of undid everything. So that was week two of college. And week three was pretty vanilla. There wasn't really anything. And that's why I think the NFL is king. Because week two of the NFL saw at just about 345, every single game was close. Of the 4 o'clock games, every single game was close when we got to about 7. And then the Sunday night game was not especially close ever, but it was a good one. Thursday night was a great game for week two with the Chiefs and Chargers. And then Monday night, both games were not great, but they were fun to watch because the Eagles and Bills both just looked like great football teams. And there are some other trends kind of going around, but I'm going to get into the injuries now. Start off, we talked about Notre Dame and their first win came under a new quarterback, Drew Pine, who took over for Tyler Buckner, who started weeks one and two and left late, actually very late in the game. I think, he, no, he finished the game against Marshall after he, yeah, because he threw a pick six. So somewhere in there he was tackled and hurt his shoulder, his left shoulder, and had a grade five out of six AC joint, which the AC is the acromion clavicular, and it's just on the distal. It's over by your shoulder is the AC joint. It's right above your shoulder, kind of on the top. And it's just a stability joint. So grade 5 out of 6 actually means that it completely tore. And it also got rid of the coracoid clavicle ligament as well. So that's, that's one injury from a quarterback in college football in week 2. And then the other one is, as we mentioned, Quinn Ewers, who was playing against Alabama and had just thrown a long bomb down the field, got them into in the red zone. I don't think they came away with any points really that drive, but he was you could tell he was kind of coming into his own. He'd taken a couple deep shots and thrown the ball well on all of them and then gets driven into the ground. He also hurts his shoulder, and he's got the other end of the clavicle. So the clavicle is your collarbone. So we just said Tyler Buckner hurt towards his shoulder. If you follow that collarbone all the way in to where your sternum it meets your sternum that's the sternoclavicular joint and he sprained that now initially he was ruled or expected to be ruled out for a long time Buckner is going to be out I have a cold if you couldn't tell Buckner is going to be out for the remainder of the season they initially ruled Ewers out for the remainder of the season but I think the initial ruling on that was everybody thought he had broken his collarbone, and that is not the case, it appears. And actually, Ewers 
was practicing the other day. So usually an SC sprain that would require surgery would be a complete dislocation of the two ligaments that hold that joint together. A fun fact about that joint right there, that's actually the only joint that holds your arm onto your body, your trunk, if you were. So if you think about where your, how your shoulder connects, you have your humerus is your bone in your arm, and then that creates a joint with your clavicle and your scapula, and that's your shoulder blade. And together they kind of create that joint that gives you the ball and socket so you can move your arm all the way around in a big circle. Well, the scapula on your back does not actually join with any of your spine or your ribs at all. It kind of floats over your ribs and it moves back and forth, but it's got muscle underneath it and that prevents it from actually creating any joint with the core or the trunk. So really, this sternum or this clavicle is the only thing that holds your body or your shoulder in place. So that's why those injuries are very important. So I will say that I had Buckner's injury in high school, an AC joint, a left AC joint, and I played one week I sat out on defense because I played linebacker, and then the following week I played both ways again. But like I said, so he had the grade five out of six sprain, so he's completely dislocated, and that clavicle is just going to be poking up into the air. So the way that that is fixed is through an open reduction. So that is where they're going to open him up with surgery, push that kind of back down, get everything in place, and repair the ligaments that way. For Quinn Ewers, I assume that they either did a closed reduction, which is where they just kind of pop it back into place without the need for surgery, or he did not really have even that much of a dislocation at all, maybe just a little bit of a sprain. So if that is the question, I'm curious to see what the real issue was. Because, so the SC joint, the sternoclavicular joint that Quinn Hughes is dealing with, it really, in most times where there is a closed reduction still, it doesn't matter you're not you're going to be in a sling for 6 weeks and there's going to be weight restrictions like you might not be able to pick up more than just a water bottle for up to 6 months he is a younger athlete he's probably got the world class facility i know texas is a great research institution and i think the guy who did i know it's a different area but dak prescott's ankle is right in texas and i'm sure they have great surgeons and orthopedists right there but still so my question after all of this is why did he have to leave the game and the subsequent game? So he, he did not play last week. And I'm just curious as to if he can already go back to work, how injured was he really? Uh, I'm not a doctor, and I'm sure he would have loved to be out there, but just if an injury that's usually this severe doesn't cause him to miss more than two or three weeks, and he can get back in time for conference conference play, that would be surprising to me considering what is normally going on. And then the other complication that can sometimes happen with this, I just wanted to mention, is sometimes the uh, that clavicle can fall off and slide under the ribs and go into 
the lung area and that can cause some problems as well. So I don't think that happened here because that would probably require an open surgery where they'd have to fix that. But uh, I would be curious to hear what the thought process on his treatment is, uh, especially since he's back so soon. Moving on, the other big-time injury we had in college football was late game in a punt. The Texas Tech edge, Bryce Ramirez, had a compound lower leg fracture. So it was in the middle of his shin area. He blew out. He had got rolled up on in a pile. His foot was caught in the turf. He got rolled up on, and he had a compound fracture, which means you can very clearly see it in the video. It's easy to find on Twitter, and it was definitely both his tibia and fibula that are fractured in the video. It's a sad story because he had just earned a scholarship in camp that fall, this summer, and he was actually starting this game, so he did not start out, I believe, as a scholarship player, and he will be out for at least the upcoming year. You know, I mean, if you remember, Dak Prescott was still kind of going through some things on an injury he sustained around this time last year. And this is pretty much an identical situation. So on the other hand, someone who has been compared to him a lot and has a similar injury but does not have a compound fracture is Trey Lance, the second-year quarterback from North Dakota State for the 49ers. So he has the same thing. His was a little lower, but he also blew out both those both those bones in that lower leg, and he is going to be out for the season as well. So just to highlight the difference between the compound fracture and the lower leg fracture in general, I guess the closed fracture, is pretty much just the rate of, or the chance of infection and the skin healing. So they both broke the same bones, probably have a lot of the soft tissue damaged, similar except for the skin. Ramirez has already had two surgeries. I'm sure one of them was kind of a debridement where they just kind of went through and got rid of anything they might think is infected, closed it up, and then he's having his second surgery probably to put the hardware in place and help those bones grow. If Trey has surgery, it's probably, and I think he underwent that today. It's oh, not if he has surgery. He will have surgery. I think he underwent it today. That will be, uh, they won't have to do the first one. It'll just be the hardware put in there to hold everything in place and he should be able to get all of it done in one go around so he's going to be they're both going to be off their weight assuming everything goes according to plan anything time you put metal into the bone it's there's a risk for infection so that is going to be monitored but i'm sure they have the best in the world at doing it can't always prevent that stuff but I'm sure they'll be okay. They both will be off their legs for an extended period of time and then slowly work back. Again, they're young, healthy athletes, so it will be interesting, though, to see. If you look at guys like Odell Beckham, you can look up pictures of his legs before and after his injury, and you can tell which one he injured after. That's an ACL injury, so that's going to be more quad, but still they're going to be off their legs for an extended period of time, and it's hard to keep that muscle tone up in the affected leg. 
Moving on to some other ones that are less, they're more common, I guess. We'll talk about Kayvon Thibodeau, who had the sprained MCL. He was hurt in the preseason from the infamous cut block, and he might come back this week. So he practiced a little bit last week, and he hinted that he may be back. And maybe the Giants keep him out and ride this win streak, but I assume that he will actually play this week. TJ Watt is out with a torn pec. He was on the pup list, which means that he is out for at least four weeks, and he's slated, uh, the, the average return for that is four to six weeks. To go back to Thibodeau, just a reminder that an MCL is the medial collateral ligament that's on the inside of your leg, and that gets sprained when your foot were to go out and your knee stays in. It's commonly associated with the ACL. They usually, if they go with another one, they go together. They're kind of buddies. So it's a good, you know, a lot of times when MCL happens, people suspect ACL as well. TJ Watt, he tore his pec, as we said, four to six weeks. The torn pec, so your pec muscle actually goes and connects onto that humerus. So that's that bone in your upper arm between your bicep and tricep. So those, that muscle actually runs through your armpit and connects all the way up there. Well, that tendon is where that tear is going to happen. So if you see, you can look up weightlifting videos with torn pecs. You're going to get a, a pop, and that whole area is going to be sore, even though the tear is just up in the armpit. And then you're going to see a lot of discoloration and swelling in that armpit area initially. So that is not something I expect him to need surgery on. I don't think he did have surgery. It's just going to take some time, and those soft tissue injuries can cause a problem if you come back too early. And the Patri- or the Steelers did not get a single sack against the Patriots without him. So I know they'll be rushing to have him back. I don't know that they'll rush him back. But again, that so the pack pulls your, your elbow kind of into your body, and that's as you have a pass rusher, that would be pretty important. I don't know if maybe they could put him on the right side. So the left is on he's – on, he's using his left to kind of stab more. Le- he's on the right going against the left tackle, stabbing with his left at the left tackle, his left arm. That might help him use the right arm less. But it is crucial for pass rush moves – to be able to go, you know, in and out and all around, and tackling as well. So we'll see how long that bothers him. That could be a nagging injury that he just has to deal with for at least the rest of his season. Zach Wilson, the New York Jets quarterback, who was dealing with the meniscus and plateau bruise, is still on his four-week timetable. Remember, the meniscus is the little cushiony area on the inside of the knee, it kind of lets the, the femur slide around on top of the tibia. And he also bruised that plu- uh, that plateau, uh, the condyles right there, on the tibia as well. Chris Godwin is injured with, he, he sat out with his hamstring. Remember that hamstring has two joints it covers, makes it really easy to strain if you overextend. He tore his, and he's also recovering from an ACL in 2021, so... He just might have been a little bit not conditioned all the way. He is going to be out again this week, most likely. 
and Mike Evans is also suspended. So, Justin, the Buccaneers are expected to sign Cole Beasley. So, if you are a fantasy owner who needs a quick get, I would look for Cole Beasley if you need a primary option. They still have uh, Lenny to give the ball. And I'm not even sure who else is on their roster to throw the ball to. They have Cam Brate at tight end. But they're two big – oh, they have um, not Amari Cooper. He's on the Brownies, but Julio Jones now. So we might see actually Julio Jones. He's another one that maybe not everybody has. He's going to get a lot more targets and Cole Beasley. So a new one-two punch for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. An interesting one that is kind of funny, is Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. Now, I, I don't know that these are serious injuries. Peters was out with a knee, Humphrey out with a groin, and they're just out for practice. They played the other day, but they gave up a 21-point lead to the Dolphins, and I think someone said that the corners together ran a combined total of three miles during the game because they were trying to keep up with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, who they did not do a very good job of doing. And they did not practice Monday afterwards. So I don't know if that was a little bit of, you know, some of those nagging injuries after you get you give up twenty one points to the Dolphins and lose uh, in the way they did. And they didn't just give up twenty one, they gave up twenty one straight. Or they blew a twenty one point lead. So that uh, you know Maybe that groin's a little bit extra tender after after such an embarrassing moment. Um, Justin Herbert, the Chargers quarterback, is was playing with some rib cartilage issues. He's day-to-day right now. We've talked about ribs, whether it's broken, sprained, bruised, cartilage. It all just really hurts. There's different there's varying degrees of grades where you can have the need for surgery, but most of the time it's not going to cause any mechanical issues. It just hurts like the Dickens if you get hit there, and even uh, depending on what's going on, breathing hurts. So it's supposed to be kind of a, not a rigid, but have some motion your ribs, and they still move when it hurts or when they're injured. So that that's where a lot of the pain comes from when it's trying to heal itself. And we'll see if he can just wear an extra flak jacket and go against the Jags. But I, and I think he will because it's not an uncommon injury for quarterbacks to play through. But it looked painful for him to finish out the game against the Chiefs the other day. And our final injury is one that is definitely of note is Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. He broke his right thumb on a helmet. He's already had surgery. It's a very similar injury to what Russell Wilson had, just in a different area. And he is, I think Jerry said, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, said he would be back possibly week three after hurting it week one. Uh, I think that's a little bit, maybe if we've learned anything from Russell Wilson, like I said, he came back too early, as everybody knows, and did not perform well. He's not on the physically unable to perform list. So he is, uh, I guess they could bring him back whenever he's ready. There's no set amount because he's not on the pup. And again, pup is just a new 
list that the NFL put out. It's pretty much like the IR in your fantasy league. You can put someone there, open up a roster spot, and but they're out for like a set amount of time. It's four weeks. They have to be out for the pup. Now getting to our injured and recovered in the injured world, the AFC South, where my Jacksonville Jaguars are members. Between the four teams, the Jags, Colts, Texans, and Titans, they have one win between them after two weeks. And that win came in one of the two games in which two of the teams played each other because there was a tie in the other one. So they've had two games where one team almost had to win, and they found out found the alternative, and one team or two teams tied in week one, being the Colts and Texans. So the Titans are actually 0 and 2. The Texans are 0 1 and 1. Colts 0 1 and 1, and the Jags are 1 and 0. So it's almost a complete flip of last season. Recovered is Joe Flacco. He is covering for the injured Zach Wilson, who we talked about earlier. And while it looks like painful for him to move around in the pocket and throw the football, he has been doing so and actually led the Jets to a, I know I don't have to say it around here, but a crazy come-from-behind win against the Cleveland Browns last week. I think he has the two, two of the top five or so most tar- or, um, pass attempts after the first two weeks. So the old man's out there just slinging it around. Brees Hall was supposed to be huge in fantasy, the rookie running back from Iowa State, and he has not been contributing as much as we would have thought. And instead, Joe Flacco's just throwing it around the yard, probably a little bit due to the fact that they have been losing for all but zero seconds, 14 seconds in there. Yeah, I think, I think the Browns got the ball back like 14, 20 seconds. And the Jets have been losing for most of that, maybe, you know, 0-0 at the beginning of the game. So we'll just we'll just say five minutes the, the Jets have not been losing. So they'll have been having to throw the ball a little bit more. Injured, LeBron, he just went bald. Uh, I'm actually proud of him for it. He's been putting it off for a while, but it is kind of funny for him to finally take that step. Recovered. Here's one thing. Let's try and figure out what all these teams have in common. The Dolphins, Giants, Bills, Bucks, Eagles, and Chiefs, they are all 2-0. and oh. And that means the best teams in football have the Dolphins, Giants, Bills, and Eagles in them. I don't know if that combo has ever been 2-0. and oh. It is teams that grew up not very – I grew up, they were not very good. Even when the Giants went and won Super Bowls, they were not world beaters. They were teams that got hot both times. And the Chiefs have been historically good the last decade or so, so that's not really a surprise. The Bucs have Tom Brady, but those other three, kind of interesting, especially you know the Dolphins haven't been good in forever, really. Um the Bills, we expect them to be good, but th- that's a new thing. Uh, we'll see who, how the Dolphins finish out. I don't know if they'll beat win the division, but they look very, very good and like they can score a lot of points. I actually saw a video of Tua's highlight tape from the Week 2 win over the 
uh, Ravens, and they flipped the whole video. So the score was backwards, the words were backwards, everything was backwards, but that also made Tua right-handed, and I actually believe in him now. I think the reason I thought he threw the ball weird was because he's left-handed. So now that I can just you know flip it, watch it right-handed, I might be more of a fan of his moving forward. Now let's find out what these teams have in common. The Raiders, Titans, and Bengals. These are the only teams in the AFC that are 0-2. And if we can find something else about them, they are all also teams that made it to the playoffs last year. So the Bengals actually beat both those teams on their way to the playoffs, or the uh, Super Bowl. They beat the Raiders Week 1 and the Titans Week 2. And now they all find themselves at 0-2. I would, If I had to bet on a single team from that group to make it to the playoffs after this poor start, I would bet the Titans. Uh, they don't look great, but they are the in the worst division. I don't know if the Bengals will be able to jump back. They, you know, the Bengal or the Browns and the Raven. The Ravens are good. I think the Ravens are just good. The Browns, I think, can be good. And I think the Steelers are the Steelers. And that's not to say that they are good, but they are not bad. And they're just always, they could beat anybody at any given time, except for the Patriots. They can never beat the Patriots, but other than that, they can beat anybody. And I am nasally. I am not. I am injured, obviously. Uh, re- recovered. Georgia, we kind of talked about that. They lost how much of their defense last year and just put bigger guys in the same spots. Same thing. They have two of the best tight ends in the nation. And one of them is like a 6'8", 270 sophomore or something like that. Doesn't sound fair to me. Michael Mayer being number one, of course, for the Irish. Injured Notre Dame, we already talked about that, don't want to get into it again, and recovered. The city of New York, it's been on Twitter a lot, but still worth mentioning, the first time in 13 years, the Jets, Giants, Yankees, and Mets all won a game on the same day. A little more to that, the Mets are winning their, they're, they're close to 100 wins, I believe Houston is already there. The Yankees are the worst, I think, division leader record-wise, but they've cooled off a little bit. Aaron Judge is closing in on the non-steroid home run record of 61 in a year. And that is all for baseball, but it is pretty cool to see the place New York light up like that. I'm going to stop talking because my throat hurts. I've stopped the recording a lot of times to cough. Uh, hopefully I didn't leave any in there. I sound like crap, I know, but we are due. So until next time, it won't be so long. Go Jags.